Welcome to the Trap One Podcast. On this episode, we're going to take a look at the first few chapters of this year's multimedia Doctor Who series, Doomsday. I'm Mark. I'm Bryn. And I'm Adam. So, uh, Suze Kempner is playing Doom for, for this series. Uh, this this is somebody I kind of discovered over lockdown, I think. She's kind of a generation of online comedians that, that became aware of during the pandemic. Uh, I kind of think of her along lines of like Rosie Holt, Troy Hawk. Eleanor Morton, uh, just doing absolutely brilliant sketches and, and putting them out on Twitter. I think Suze Kempner in particular does really good political satire. She does impressions of Nadine Dorries and uh, kind of news commentators, uh, you know, over um, uh, you know the House of Commons and things like that. Um, it seems like a pick that maybe fits with with Russell T Davies. Seems a bit more outspoken now. Uh, I don't know if like not working direct for the BBC, maybe he's a bit more free to do that. So it seems like. Yeah, she's she's a good choice from that point of view. Um, how, how familiar are you two with with her work? Yeah, likewise, she was someone who I'd become aware of and already followed on on Twitter before the announcement. So you know, it was very exciting to see that kind of recognisable um, face. And you know, I I know um, a, a few people, a few friends of mine actually, who are really big fans of of her in particular because a lot of her her stand up shows are quite focused on on video games and video game culture. Um, so I think that's something that, again, you know, ap- appeals to similar audiences as Doctor Who potentially, and it does seem like everyone who's you know familiar with her work is kind of you know a fan of her and really enjoys her stuff. Yes, same here. I pretty much discovered her um, over Twitter, and yeah, yeah, probably just before lockdown. And it, it, yeah, it was one of those really weird moments when they announced the casting because I was like, that's a interesting clash of worlds. <laughs> But it is, at the same time, it is very RTD in some ways. Particularly, you know, in the latest series, we're getting people like uh, Jinx, Jinx Monsoon coming in. And she feels kind of in the same... Obviously, she's not as big as Jinx, but she's kind of in the same area. Hi, I'm Doom. Blame my mother. I'm the universe's greatest assassin. And in one day, I'm going to die. Unless I can find the Doctor. Someone sent death, literal death, after me. I can only outrun it for 24 hours. So, the clock's ticking. My vortex manipulator sends me a new target every hour. The lesser order of Oberon sends me a lot to choose from, and I'm picking the missions that'll maybe bring me to the Doctor. 24 hours, all of time and space, will I find the Doctor. Ancient enemies, old friends... Or maybe I'll go out in flames. A lot of flames. Well, it'll be better than what's coming for me. If you see the Doctor, tell them I'm on my way. So, uh, well, the first things we got was the trailer for Doomsday. Uh, so this is with Suze Kempner in the Doom costume and, uh, you know, kind of setting up the the premise for the story. I think the tone of this was uh, was maybe came across as a bit for kids, may have may have put some, some people off it. Yeah, I remember seeing um, definitely mixed responses to it at the time. I think the main thing was that there was a lot of excitement about Suze so I think I saw, you know, some people were criticising the idea of doing another kind of multimedia story event thing. 
um, especially at that stage before we knew the details of it and other people were sort of criticizing the content, but that kind of didn't negate their excitement for the casting in quite a few cases. And um, yeah, I think you're right that, that tonally it's certainly, it's quite playful and people were interested to see, I think how that would fit with the idea of his character being like an assassin and, you know, kind of deadly and how that would um, fit in. And obviously like in terms of, you know, production values, the trailer is what it is, as you know, it's it's a, a a trailer. Like it's sort of obviously it sets up the story but doesn't really fit into it. So the, the visuals of it I think could, could probably come into some criticism as well, but a kind of what you'd expect from that kind of um introduction. It's nice to have that kind of live action moment. And actually I think it does help then when you're reading the comics or the short stories, but there's an actual visual of what that um you know, actor looks like in that costume. So it's not just a kind of separate character and actor. It's, I think that's an interesting element of it with the character. Not only is this whole thing centered around a completely original character, but the character is very much appearing as that actress. It's not an audio drama thing where it's, you know, you mm -hmm. can imagine the character looking like how you want because they've obviously, I imagine on the same day as shooting that trailer, taken, you know, promo photos that they can then use on the book covers and the audio book um, as well. And, yeah, that's it. And you can kind of hear the character's voice when you're reading the stories and the comics before we've actually heard her in the, the BBC audio and the, and the big finish stuff. And it feels like quite a good way into the story, whereas you know, Time Lord Victorious was the previous multimedia thing, felt a bit more opaque. This is much more straightforward and it, and it, it it's easily, uh, you know, kind of just described to the, to the audience like that, that every hour the character has a vortex manipulator which takes her to a, a new location with where she's got a new mission to to assassinate somebody um and the first first part of this the first hour is available to read on the official doctor website for free it is simply called hour one and is written by james goss which is set in new venice which uh, i guess we assume is is either on an alien planet or is is venice in the future uh, i guess the idea of Venice is sinking, isn't it? Maybe maybe it's been rebuilt. And uh, Doom has already had a, a failed attempt to assassinate somebody who we don't know who, which I guess is one of the going to be the big mysteries of the series, is who she was attempting to assassinate. But in the attempt has unleashed um, this sort of Grim Reaper type figure that is chasing her. Well, it's not really clear what, what's killing her, is it? Because she knows she's got 24 hours to live. Uh, but also that this sort of like, yeah, this death-like figure is is following her as well. Um, and we also learn she's got holographic claws like the Doctor in Time of the Doctor, uh, which I guess makes her a bit like a TARDIS where she can sort of blend in wherever she arrives in time and space. Although we don't see it used after New Venice in any of these stories, do we? Yeah, that's an interesting point, actually, to kind of bring it up. I think there's... Um... One of the descriptions of the, the Titan comic, which I think is the next thing coming up, does mention something about her attending a ball again. So I wonder if that's where we'll get to see it used in the Titan comic, that she might you know, change her appearance. That seems as a reference to her in that first short story being in you know different clothes to where she is here. It's kind of sequin ball gown or something, which says that sounds quite impressive. And you can see how the artists through Titan comics would have fun showing something like that. So I do wonder if it's linked into that. But it's also you know there's that first opening shot so there's a lot of world building and i guess that's just part of of, of that yeah. yeah new venice seems like kind of casanova era venice doesn't it where it's all mask mask balls and uh 
uh, and parties and decadence all the time. I think it did a good job of kind of establishing and introducing the premise. And I think you're you, you kind of right to say that like compared to Time of Choice, it's a much simpler, more straightforward premise. And especially once the details of the story was were announced, it was clear that a lot of these releases would be covering, you know, four whole hours of 24 hours. It wasn't going to be 24 separate stories. That kind of reduction in, in scale and, you know, in, in price kind of an accessibility is kind of a big comparison, a positive comparison, I think, in comparison to Time Lord Victoria. So it's going to be good to, to see that. And yeah, the fact that this short story obviously actually manages to leave quite a few mysteries in terms of, as you say, like what it is that's going to cause her death, how she knows it's exactly 24 hours. You know, you've got this kind of big bit of omitted narrative in there. And I think that's um, a really um, strong thing because I, I did worry it would be a bit too straightforward because you've got such a simple premise, but actually the fact that it doesn't answer those mysteries in the opening short story and it's going to give us time to presumably discover those um, is really good. Yeah, and, and in the course of, of this mission, she meets a doctor she describes as an old man so i can you kind of immediately think maybe it's hartnell or capaldi but then you think she's really young like does so um would would any of the male doctors or most of them just seem like an old man to her so it could be sort of like uh yeah, <laughs> or, or anybody couldn't it yeah i mean yeah i was thinking you know even the 14th doctor you know as david tennant at his current age you know that could be an old man to someone of that age you know he's not that many years off of Capaldi when he took on um the Doctor role so yeah it'd be interesting to see if we do get a sort of conclusive answer to who that which Doctor that was whether it comes up in the in one of the later short stories or something I I, I think I I took from obviously we'll get onto the comic soon but I think I took from her interaction with six Doctor and that but it's presumably someone after that you know not a previous incarnation but she interacted with their but even that isn't a hundred percent certain. So yeah, I think in my head I was kind of picturing Capaldi, but also I enjoyed that it was kind of left there as ambiguous. Maybe it'll be the War Doctor, a bit of John Hurt. Yeah, that'd be a twist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's definitely you know in terms of age, that's definitely the oldest. So yeah, you know. True, and in terms of what you were talking about accessibility, Bryn, the the I understand that the the final piece as well is a short story on the Doctor Who website by James Goss so I guess if uh, you know, if you weren't interested in the rest of it you could probably read those two um, and, and you know kind of fill in the story of the mystery set up in the first one uh, and the final one will kind of resolve it all of, of who her target was and which Doctor it was and, and why this has all happened Yeah I think that's really good I think it allows I think it's kind of good to put you know even if you're not going to get every single part you'll be able to get the conclusion, you know, because, uh, you know, I, even for me at this point, I don't know how much of it I'm going to listen to or read. I'm still thinking about that. You know, I'm, I might get the audio drama, but whether I'll get, you know, the book or, or whatever. And so but for people knowing uh, going in, that even if you miss a few of the hours, you can still get the story at the end. And I imagine that's, you know, it, it does seem very deliberate, but the way they've done it around that structure. And obviously it allows to have James Goss writing both the beginning and the ending, you know, it does seem like, you know, that he's been kind of got a good control of, of the structure. And it does, in some senses, it'd be interesting to see how linked in some of the hours in between are and how many of them are kind of episodic adventures that don't really have much to do um, with what's going on. And 
how it sort of strikes that that balance of making these stories feel relevant um, or whether they will be very standalone, which could then make you kind of question the point of doing the kind of LinkedIn yeah. story. But yeah, I know you you covered um, the Time Lord Victorious on your on your blog, Brent. Did you read and listen to much of that, Adam? Um, kind of by accident. Because <laughs> it was one of those things when I originally heard about the Time Lord Victorious, I w- and I was a bit like, "That sounds weirdly like you're mixing um, Waters of Mars with Silver Nemesis from from the, from the description, you know, dark times, blah blah blah, <laughs> Time Lord Victorious." But um, I so I didn't really seek it out because I kind of like put my foot down on I'm not buying a story bits of a story where I have to get miniatures to get the whole story because um, they had a couple of those Eagle Moss tie-ins and I felt quite cynical. But oddly enough, I I ended up picking up a couple of big finishes in a sale. Um, master ones, one with uh, Amy's master, one with Delgado's master, and I, apparently they tie into it, though I, I have no idea how because I still don't know what the plot of Time of Victorious is. And I saw Time Fracture in person, and apparently that was part of that as well. Again, I couldn't tell you how. Oh, how it tied in! But I had I had a lovely time at Time Fracture, so you know it's like fine. I just I just don't quite know. So, and like you we saying earlier, one of the things that actually caught my eye about Doomsday, I don't necessarily think I'll be following it, but I appreciate that it is a it is an easier hook for people to understand. It's not just like Dark Times, Dalek Empire, Time of Victorious. It's like this is your main character. This is your story. This is how you follow it. Um. So yeah, so yeah, no, I I accidentally, kind of accidentally, did some bits of time of Victorious without meaning to. Yeah, so this time round we don't have um, a hero collector, um, you know, Eagle Moss, do we, as as one of the sort of uh, partners for for this because uh, you know, fortunately they uh, they've gone out of business now. So uh, yeah, that was one of the things last time, wasn't it? That was short stories that were released with the little models of the the Dalek Emperor and uh, and, and things like that. Yeah, I think it's another kind of point of comparison, like even from you, Adam, saying about how you experienced some bits of the kind of peripheral bits of TLV without even really knowing, you know, listening to it and thinking, I don't know how this connects to any of it from not knowing your words. It's interesting, you know, this Doomsday thing is a very linear, very straightforward, you know, it's literally you've got 24 hours. So it's it's very easy to follow, I think, for anyone. And it's, it's much easier if you miss a bit to go, oh, well, it's just as four hours have been since rather than TLV where it was like you know you had the release order and then you had a sort of timeline order and you had the timelines of individual different characters and maybe they crossed over in different ways as well like it was um it's it was much easier to comprehend this part partly yeah there's less elements to it you know there's only the one sort of audio drama box set as opposed to several different releases and you've not got things like live events and um as you say the, the eagle mosques um and short stories and stuff and so i think it does seem much more manageable it does seem you know obviously some things like the eagle moss may be more down to the practical stuff in terms of that company having um gone under but it does feel like there's been a very conscious effort in designing it as well to make something that's self-consciously not time lord victorious too you know it's, mm. it feels mm. like obviously they found benefits in doing these kind of multimedia events and the kind of cross promotion and thought yeah this is something we could do again but it feels like they've learned a lot of lessons and are very much taking it in a different direction and it would be interesting to see 
you know, if they did something like this again, whether there'd be kind of a third option somewhere in the middle of the two that was a bit more interconnected. And this, I think the, the strongest bit of this in comparison to Time of the Trust is the ch- choice to focus on an original character as the centerpiece. Because, you know, Time of Victory did have some good original characters in there, including, you know, another kind of um, out-of-place assassin character, which is an interesting comparison, especially given that both of them are linked to the Order of Oberon. Um, but, you know, having an original character as the Senate piece, I think, really makes this feel standalone, not just from other EUs to go on, but from Doctor- the rest of Doctor Who generally, whereas Time of Victorious is so tied into you know, the waters of Mars and all this other references to, like, vampires and things from classic Doctor Who, whereas this feels very, like, you could go in not being, like, a big, having a big awareness of classic Doctor Who or other Doctor Who monsters. Even, you know, even someone who's only seen maybe the 13th Doctor's era could go in and I think could probably get a lot out of this story. You know, the individual stories would introduce, obviously, characters and stuff that are from the rest of the Doctor Who universe, but it's not as if you have to have the knowledge of them. It's not as if they're essential to the ongoing plot in the same way. Definitely, yeah. I was I was going to say that it's the interesting that the link is to Time Lord Victorious is that both Doom and Brian the Ud work for the Lesser Order of Oberon as a sort of guild of assassins, which I think spins off from the Grand Order of Oberon, who Orsini from Reser- uh, Revelation of the Daleks work for. Uh, but I think it's uh, there's one of the Time Lord Victoria stories that said that Brian the Ood wiped out all of the Lesser Order of Oberon. So I guess this is set earlier in the timeline of uh, of that organisation. And I don't think he worked in the same way. He didn't have a vortex manipulator that zoomed him around and he only had an hour to complete the mission either, did he? So uh, yeah, that seems like a, that he's an evolution of, of the way yeah. that Doom works or she's on a specific contract, I suppose. That, uh, yeah, I that's I think that's where the first short story kind of really shines with that world building, the kind of idea it creates of the Lester Order of Oberon as kind of like, you know, you've got this like stuffy office secretary who's kind of quite frustratedly dealing with Doom's request, you know, rather than it may yeah. it kind of being some, <laughs> you know, sinister cabal and like all this life and death stuff and shadowy behind the scenes, it's kind of just there's a woman in an office who's assigning jobs. And um, I, I mean, it is very different to the portrayal of the sort of order of Oberon that we've seen before. And obviously, the, I do think the world building thing in terms of the idea of using the Vortex Manipulator and just having an hour to solve a job is a really fun idea of world building. That's obviously there to give us the structure for this narrative event where each hour is in a different um, place. But yeah, it was great to have that set up in kind of quite a fun quite amusing way it's very much in james goss's style i think that sense of humor that kind of criticism of kind of office culture and the idea of kind of reducing anything even an order of um secret assassins into something quite mundane um there's a great sense of humor there yeah it made me think a little bit of douglas adams yeah uh like you say you've got terry who's like the admin staff for the lesser order oberon and just uh it's like, yeah, she's not really, she's like one of the least important people, but also is the most put upon and uh, complaining. And uh, yeah, it kind of really rings true with any office environment as well, isn't it? That there's always somebody who feels incredibly put upon. and, and uh, Yeah, and it's interesting like how doing. it's clear that Doom is very good at her job. And yet still, it's like, it kind of almost feels like she's a bit of like a, a grunt worker, but she's kind of just, you know, that she's just go here, do that. 
you know, rather than having the kind of independence of these characters we've seen before, these assassin characters. And I do wonder if there'll be anything, you know, about Vina's story, about her kind of finding her own agency outside of this job and how her character will develop over the course of it. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to have that as established as the baseline is that she's, you know, she's not someone who's particularly thinking about these jobs or has any kind of moral compass or anything. It's very much just a, she does as she's told and it'll be interesting to see how that develops and if there's a point where she has to kind of challenge that especially if she's looking for the doctor and looking for the doctor's help is she going to have to find her morals challenged by that and have to maybe you know in a situation where she's supposed to kill a certain person maybe not do that and find a different way and um change herself in order to get the doctor's um help yeah, because we're asking to to um, yeah, kind of the your main character and hero is an assassin. It's uh, it's it's maybe a bit of a, a bit of an ask, isn't it? Like they're just turning up to uh, to execute people, and it, so in that first story, we don't know who she tries to kill that unleashes this this death on her, and then in the second story, which um, is called Target Selected. And these are written by Jacqueline Rayner and they're in this supplement that came with the most recent Doctor Who magazine. She arrives at the Storm Cage facility and she's already killed somebody there, so we don't get to see that. But I guess we sort of think, well, she's probably killed like a murderer or somebody in there. I Yeah, I, I think actually that really sums up my frustration with the comic uh, that I had because like the, I thought like the the openings you know the the first hour the the james goss story it was you know it had focus it was clear but read when i when i was going for the supplement i was like oh look there's river song at the start oh she's here for two pages and we're off and what what just happened because <laughs> yeah you're right she's like i i've just yeah. killed someone it's like oh okay great maybe it was the uh space racist from rosa i don't know that's that's a bit of headcanon um <laughs> but and, and and it ends up it just it really frustrated me reading this actually because it just ends up switching from like bits of stories it felt like like suddenly there's the autons and there's a guy uh, who are trying to take over as always and there's a guy who's like I want to get rid of plastic then suddenly he's like actually or more plastic I don't care and it's like I do because you've just changed your whole character in two panels um and the sidemen thing and there's Joe with the unicorn and I'm just like. Ah, okay. These are some narrative choices that have been made, and this issue of DWM cost ten ninety nine. Oh, really? Yeah, it was an expensive yeah. issue with uh, comic bundled in with it. Yeah, and I think this is sometimes my problem with the multimedia thing. You know, if there is a cost of living crisis going on, and you've just increased, like, significantly increased the price of somebody's DWM who might not want to follow this or, or want to be part of it you know you could have just i know they're doing a big thing in the with in the comic in the main magazine with uh with the 14th doctor but if you really wanted this maybe you just have that for as a main strip for a couple of you know a couple of issues or something or an issue and like, i i don't know it just i felt it felt a bit oh you you don't if you want your dwm you you will take part in this multimedia crossover whether you want to or not and it's an extra what fiver now or something <laughs> so i was a bit like oh that's a that's a choice yeah ah, i didn't realize that i'm a subscriber so i think 
I don't think the price price them affected. Yeah. I remember it used to be that if you got obviously we're talking quite a few years back now, but it used to be that when there was a you know a special like a bumper issue where you might get a poster or like a little extra supplement or whatever in with it, it might be like a pound more expensive, you know, than the original. But now it is usually mm-hmm. like I think, you know, the first time I remember was the five hundredth issue was ten pounds, which at the time seemed ridiculous but you got so much with that that had like an entire yeah. another magazine yeah, that showed off all the old covers and stuff so that was great whereas now yeah to be paying 11 pound for something that's only really a little bit extra obviously the base price for magazine has gone up as well but it is still quite a jump and yeah um it's a decision and i think that's a good point that you make about how you could have done this as a a backup strip obviously they've kind of got the comic strips reserved at the moment for the um 10th the 14th doctor sorry um story going on and they it's a shame that there isn't the space for to have some kind of backup strip that could have maybe told this story um and yeah in terms of the actual reading the comic it's hard not to get whiplash um it's very very quick and abrupt and kind of i think quite unsatisfying in places because of that especially you know that first river song story which is literally across two pages you know it hints at this really interesting larger story we could have had you know the way it pulls these Mm. parallels between river and doom which is quite an obvious thing to do if you're telling a story with them but i do think the way it's expressed in the dialogue feels like you can imagine how these two will come to find that mutual respect for each other but we don't really see the story we just see the end and then reaching that mutual respect we you know we don't know what they've had to go through and what um antagonism they've had towards each other before they've reached that and so it's it feels more like a, a teaser of a story we could have had rather than a story in and of itself i wonder with these stories if they started off as longer and they for space or whatever they've had to be cropped down because there's a couple of things where it seems like there's an idea there that that should have been an integral part of the story, and one of them is the uh, was it plastic population. I think is the Auton story, and there's the the baddies have got these sort of guards or goons dressed as clowns, and um, one of them it seems to be the Sixth Doctor, even with the question mark uh, lapels, and um, but then they're only in one. Um, one frame i think and then you don't see them again so it felt like that was something it was supposed to be a misdirect or something and then in the joe grant one doom says i've put a tracker on the huntsman and um there's been no mention of of who the huntsman is or that there is one um there is a couple of panels where there's a guy with a bow and arrow but he didn't seem like he was part of the story really (laughs) he just seemed like a bystander so yeah, bits like that. It feels like maybe it's been edited down from something bigger for space, which w- would mm. would make sense, I think, because these don't feel like comics that have been written to be the length they are. They don't, you know, because you can do. Obviously, it does require more artwork and stuff, but you can do sort of single page or two page comics that have a lot more panels in. Most of these, yeah. you know, there's ple- for a comic so short that's trying to tell four separate stories, the fact that there are so many single panel pages, which, you know, is a lovely way to show off nice, you know, big artwork, but doesn't really fit with these stories being so quick. You know, I think about like the 60s Dalek comics or something, but sometimes an entire page of that, you know, a huge amount of story can be covered 
and those are obviously being written intentionally to fill you know quite a short space and tell quite a large story and these don't feel like they're written like that you know so it's it's not just oh they're a bit short and that's a shame it feels like they've been written as you say like they could have literally been cropped because i feel like you know there's plenty of good writers in here i don't know what restrictions they were under i'm sure quite severe restrictions it seems in terms of what they could do um but you know i I believe that these writers could create you know under the right circumstances much stronger comics than these and clearer stories than these even in a limited space of pages so whether it's a case of they've written something longer and it's kind of been hacked up afterwards or it's a case of they've been told oh you can only have this much art per page because obviously a comic with lots of panels and pages is going to um, cost more to produce and you know the art is going to require more of the artist's time but either way the restrictions have kind of forced it into this format which yeah it's it's a, a struggle really to kind of get get too much out of the stories yeah because you say you could delve more into the similarities of, of river song and doom as, as cold-blooded killers because that, that does that thing where it's in darkness and somebody say i'm a cold-blooded killer that's who i am that kind of thing and you realize it's river song we expect it to be doom and then she says, oh, I think you are too. I, I can't recognize that in you. And then she immediately says, well, this is where you try and find the doctor. Um, so, and this is, this is River Song after she's in prison when she's, she's no longer trying to kill the doctor. So I think she wouldn't really want to send the self-proclaimed world's greatest assassin <laughs> to find him. Uh, so yeah, it, it does seem odd. It does seem like we're seeing fragments of a larger whole. It's interesting in comparison to the short story, which you know has this reference that the Doctor's appeared, but is ambiguous about who and kind of eschews doing any big kind of you know fan service thing with that to then have this comic be like straight away, you know, River Song, Sif Doctor, um, Joe, you know, Cybermen, all that. So you know, it's very quick fire on just let's put these characters in here and yeah, for tiny appearances. And we get to see the the Grim Reaper sort of figure that's that's hunting doom in in river song's cell and it, it seems like river song can see it as well the way it's drawn it's like they're both kind of looking at it so it seems like it's something physical and it reminded me a bit of of the pilot where when uh you know when the when heather or the heather kind of puddle creature is chasing them through time and space that you know once she's been there for a while it, it kind of appears like that yeah it'd definitely be interesting to see if that's something that's followed up on because as you say it's kind of here in this um river song strip and then doesn't play a part in the others and you kind of think if, if they're doing this thing where you know it's, it's not as if she's just there for a short time in the other so it doesn't have time to catch up you know the, the thing is that it's strictly like an hour per story and i think in some ways that could have been used as like kind of an interesting hook if it's kind of like you know every, every single you know, obviously you don't want it to be too repetitive but you know that there's this constant force pursuing her like obviously you've already got the ticking clock which i think does help to build that tension but having a kind of a physical presence as well is definitely something that would add to that um and because we don't really know the nature yet of what is pursuing her it's kind of hard to quantify what that threat is other than oh you know in a few more hours in the rest of the day that she's going to gonna die but you know as well is is it a set 24 hours you know if we've got this physical death pursuing her is that actually any threat to her or is nothing gonna happen until we've reached the end of the time it's kind of hard to quantify you know i was saying the first short story that i like that um 
ambiguity, you know, the fact that it leaves mysteries open. But it'll be interesting to see how long it takes to have those mysteries resolved. Because what I don't want to do is end up in a situation where it's only the final short story, but James Goss comes back in and goes, "Here's the answers to all the mysteries I set up." You know, it'd be nice yeah. to have <laughs> that seeded through. But they clearly nice didn't have... have a few reveals or clues. Yeah, yeah in the but they, you can see that they didn't have the space for that here because they didn't have the space for a lot. So it would be hard pressed to put that in here. But hopefully, it's something we'll get sooner rather than later. Yeah, because this is four hours, and the I think the novel that's coming out in August is also four hours. But obviously, that gives way more space and time for the characters and the and, and the stories to breathe. Yeah, I mean that's what um, I was kind of thinking about. How like this is four hours covered in something you could read in I don't know five minutes uh, like um, I didn't time myself but it's mm-hmm. it's whereas you know compare that to what we're getting with the novel or potentially even um the big finish audio dramas which might I don't know if that, if that's a, a, a if that's a box set that might literally be like an hour for an hour kind of thing which is very different yeah. to um <laughs> what what it is here, so how that will change the experience. It's going to be a weird thing if you try and experience them all together. I think the pacing is going to feel really off if you spend yeah. <laughs> five minutes doing four hours and then potentially hours doing another four hours. But I guess it is kind of, it's kind of part parcel with the medium. And it'll be interesting to see how it is with the Titan comics, as I imagine. I, again, they're covering four hours, but over two issues, which I imagine will be slightly longer issues than this as well. It'll be interesting to see if they're a bit more fleshed out and how they manage it i think yeah as as a medium with comics there is going to be a struggle to convey that much kind of time in terms of doing a full story for each one you know it'd be one thing to mm-hmm. say four hours but that's just one story over four hours but if they if the pitches literally have to do four separate stories so i think while titan comics has probably got a better chance of doing it with a slightly longer time it'd be interesting to see if that manages it much better or if it's even if the stories get a bit more breathing room if it still feels kind of rushed just and it's just kind of an inherent issue with trying to do this premise in that medium definitely and then so in in the plastic population the doom's contract is to kill uh, a minister uh, it's called minister scarling who is is very anti-plastic so kind of i think initially you think well this you know, are we going to be on Doom's side here because uh, you know we do we do need less plastic and everything? Um, but as you say, Adam, he um, he changes his mind when he realizes that uh, the villain, who's called Miss Ness Steen, <laughs> um, is uh, the plans to give everybody these tiny twin dolls that turn that look like you, and then basically replace you and uh, by absorbing plastic uh, while you're killed, and the guy decides that. That's well. That's that's kind of a really good solution because uh, all this waste plastic will be absorbed into the the tiny twins as they grow, and the humans will die, so they won't be making more plastic waste. So that that might be a good way to to save the environment. Uh, I'm not sure it's something that Greta Thunberg would exactly be on board with. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how he goes from kind of political, you know, anti-plastics advocate to like eco-fascist in like a couple of pages it's quite a dramatic <laughs> um, like because you do get about attitude sometimes when people are like oh the planet would be so much better off if there were no people and it's like yeah well, if you take don't take that thought to its logical extreme because you'll end up in a uh, a bad place yeah. so that does seem to be the rabbit hole that he goes down here yeah it's like thanos's plan or something isn't yeah. it if you, uh, <laughs> if you go too far with it yeah uh, but I suppose they kind of have to do that so that Doom 
not only completes a mission, but also isn't then painted as a as a bad guy for killing like the one person that uh, that he's trying to reduce plastic waste on this on this planet. Yeah, and they say she she meets the sixth Doctor, who has been disguised as his own waxwork. And then uh, we, Doom sort of asking for help, and he says, uh, I can't help you, I'm sorry, but... And then a vortex manipulator whisks her away again. So we don't know whether he can't help her because... He doesn't say he doesn't know what's going on, does he? So... We don't know whether the Doctor just isn't going to be able to help her at all, or whether this Doctor just doesn't know because it's too early in his timeline, or it's all left really kind of ambiguous and frustrating at that point, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely when we've got this set up that, you know, Doom's aim is, you know, Doom, Doom's goal is to find the Doctor because the Doctor can help her, to then have the Doctor there in, like, the third hour of her day and just kind of not have anything come of it and again that i think that'd probably be fine if it was explained but i think we kind of want to know here why it is that this doctor can't help and is it um is it because he doesn't know yet what's going on you know is it because it's too early in time nine is it because you know he's just seen her be an assassin and he's like well i'm not gonna you know what's the, <laughs> what's the actual story reason you know is there an emotional reason for the doctor not doing it is there a, a plot reason and yeah, I, I know we're going to get more doctors, you know, in the stories coming up, you know, the, the novel alone has the second and ninth doctors in it. But um, again, here I think maybe it would have been better if they had have held off on the doctor here because it feels, you know, it's very early into a question. Yes, I'm sure other stories might have this thing of her meeting a doctor, but that doctor's unable to help for whatever reason. But I think maybe that's the one cameo here where it kind of feels like if you hadn't have had that, it would have made things more straightforward and would have meant, you know, made the stories later more impactful when she does find the doc. You know, it's almost like she's looking for the doctor, she finds the doctor straight away, oh, the doctor can't help. Whereas if she's been looking for the doctor for a while and then she finds him and then he still can't help, but I feel like that's more of a hit, more of an impact for her. Whereas here, it doesn't seem to have much again, because we don't get to see any of her reaction to this, because so sure, you know, we don't know what emotional impact that has on her, but the person that she's been looking for, she finds and he can't help, you know, it doesn't seem to affect her mission at all, she's just like okay, I'll go find another one, like, which is yeah, I don't know, you know, how does she respond to this, how, what does she think but... because it seems like they want elements, either monsters or characters in every story, but they've already got the Nestines and the Autons in this one yeah, so the Doctor does seem a bit a bit kind of redundant, but let's say it feels like there's the vestiges of a storyline there where there's a Doctor Double who is one of the clown kind of guards. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's it's probably one of the more frustrating ones, I think, this one, because it's a little bit of a longer one. It's given more space in the book, but that ending is, is just very, very quick, and uh, yeah, the, we don't know why the Doctor can't help. Greyhound to trap one, over. Trap one. So the third story in the uh, Doctor Magazine supplement is High Noon in Hollywood, where Doom arrives in 1930s Hollywood, and she's still got a sort of liquid plastic firing gun that she picked up in the previous adventure. Uh, but she finds that everybody's been turned into Cybermen, so the Cyber Cowboys and Cyber Universal monsters running around the back lot. 
and there's a starlet who is Doom's target, who's been turned into a Cyberman, and the implication here being that somebody's hired her to kill this actor out of mercy because she's been turned into a Cyberman. I felt like this just raised more questions as well, like we don't know um, how the entire population of this studio have been turned into Cybermen, who in 1930s Hollywood would be able to hire a sort of off-world assassin to uh, to come and mercy kill one particular Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man, uh, to <laughs> uh, Cyberman. So yeah, that that all just kind of left me asking questions there. Um, what, what did you guys think? Yeah, I think for me this probably was the, the weakest of the four. I think in, in large part, I think because Doom doesn't, there's no other speaking characters, so it kind of leaves it. Um, you know, it's got a little bit of that kind of um, big finish problem of kind of character talks to themselves and talks about what they're doing obviously it's not quite the same thing because you do have visual of what they're doing but there's still a lot of doom yeah. effectively talking to themselves and it just means that there's no one for them to interact with and as you say you don't really get any of the context for the story because it's just doom coming into a situation and kind of improvising and just responding to what's there but um, yeah I think it, it probably there's not loads to say about it, as you say because of it being um that was so short and because of it being so little kind of interaction in it i think there is an interesting point about um doom starting the story where she still has the kind of like the plastics gun from previous one and then obviously in the comic after this we see she has some stuff that she's picked up in this one which i think has the potential to be used in kind of interesting ways i don't know like if it's necessarily that much of a big deal with the plastic gun here but i feel like it's used it's used quite nicely in the next comic and you could see how some of the bigger more in-depth stories might make even more interesting use of that you know the idea that she could pick up something in one story and use another it'd be interesting to see if we get that kind of go cross medium as well or whether that'll just be more something like you know when you've got the novel that's four hours you might get it between one hour and another hour and that but if potentially you know if it's kind of just from a point of view of ha- curiosity about how these stories were made and how the whole project was organised, it would be interesting to know whether the people making one story in one medium were kind of having enough conversations with the people doing another medium that could have happened. Um, yeah, and I feel it's another case of um, again, not given enough time because one thing visually with the Cybermen is they're all wearing their you know human clothes but they're all ripped which indicates that they might have just suddenly turned into Cybermen. Um, you know, not like the, say, the conversion process as we see on TV, but like something they may have just suddenly, to use a comic term, hoaxed out and become Cybermen. But it, there's no time for that. As And I don't know if that was just, or, or something that was planned, or, but it, you know, it indicates that, again, at a, at a deeper story that we're not getting. Yeah, because the target, the, the sort of starlet yeah. she's there to kill, still has a ponytail sort of sticking out the back as well. Um, so yeah, maybe it's like a dark water sort of situation where they've been converted by. I suppose it could be set during dark water. Could it? Could these all be um, like people who've uh, you know just sort of risen from their graves? <laughs> and, um, but they'd have to be buried in their costumes, I suppose, wouldn't they? So maybe that doesn't work either. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it makes. As much sense as anything else yeah. <laughs> that's going on in that comic, so <laughs> yeah, and 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 that's the thing they don't um, touch upon at all. As I say, is who is actually um, who is hiring 
the the lesser order of Oberon for these hits? You know, like do they do they have a local office on Earth where you know you want you want a hitman and uh, it goes through to the to Terry, the character on the other planet, who then um, you know sends it out to the vortex manipulators of all the assassins and stuff. It, yeah, it seems. It, it's again, yeah. It feels like it's a bigger story cut down to the absolute bare minimum, doesn't it? It's interesting as well because, like, obviously the short story establishes that idea that she gets um, a choice of which location to pick out of you know multiple options and targets, with presumably the ones then being assigned to other um, assassins. But yeah, it's interesting. I, I don't know if they've done anything to kind of really incorporate that narratively. Yeah, you know, it, I kind of it's kind of interesting because it means obviously she's pursuing a, a specific target of the Doctor, but it actually isn't just random chance, you know. So you because she does get this slight um, selection, so you know, is there a way that could be integrated into the stories where you know she's discovers more about the Doctor through meeting people who know him as she does in these stories, and then from that might be able to make a decision: oh, is he more likely to be in this place than than this place, you know? be interesting to see them do something with that i think kind of incorporate the vortex manipulator and the kind of the setup of the premise of having to move every hour into actually the narrative rather than just a way to get from a to b yeah because logically she would choose all the assignments on earth i suppose wouldn't she because that's (laughs) more likely where the doctor is going to be found yeah and and the final story in the comic strip is also set on earth which is the horn of a dilemma in uh, it gets in medieval England or medieval Europe, and the do- uh, Doom finds herself uh, a sort of market where somebody's selling unicorn horns and hairs for cures. So she decides she wants to hunt. Well, she she wants to buy a unicorn so she can hunt it. And one of the things that she's brought from the previous adventure in Hollywood is a sort of a prop of a saber toothed tiger, and a, and a chest of gold. So she tries to buy the unicorn and say well look I've just killed a saber tooth tiger back there yeah and then she's uh, she's tried stopped by none other than Joe Grant uh, I didn't realise it was her at first I've got to admit did you until she introduced herself did you realise who it was meant to be no I had a moment I, I, I honestly I had an idea but was not certain like it could I was kind of it could go either way kind of attitude there's a couple of panels where she looks slightly more like her than she does in other ones but yeah certainly until that she literally said it i was not in any way um so i was kind of like is that meant to be maybe am i reading too much into this oh no it is okay yeah so yeah and it's it's an odd one because it it's interesting that she's been hired to kill the idea of a unicorn or a unicorn and so she does the thing so she doesn't actually kill it so killing it would make her a very unsympathetic character to us but it does make you wonder well who wants to kill the idea of a unicorn is it some parents who are tired of buying unicorn merchandise (laughs) somebody really hates my little pony i don't know something like that but yeah it's a bit odd for it to be joe because you know joe never traveled in the tardis that much so to find a out and about um in medieval england with a unicorn which are real I feel like no one even addresses that. It's like, yeah, yeah. no, unicorns are real. <laughs> yes, like, oh, yes. All right. Okay, fine. And she just like misses the doctor. I don't know. I, I don't know if it's deliberate, but the last splash page of this where she's like, right, I've got to go off and fight. Doom's like, I have to go off now. And she for some reason doesn't notice the fact there's a TARDIS literally behind her with the doctor in. And I, 
I'm just like, it doesn't. It's not the best look for the character that she doesn't even look round and notice the like the iconic, the iconic bit of imagery <laughs> there. But but she thinks she would know what a TARDIS looked like with the Doctor. But maybe I'm being too harsh. Yeah, there's obviously meant to be some dramatic irony in Joe saying, "Oh, I've got a friend who can help you staying," and she's like, "No." Um, when she could, you know, just be me, you know, it could be helpful for her, but yeah. I suppose because in the first story, we learn that she, you know, she says all assassin, all these kind of intergalactic assassins know about the Doctor and stuff, but maybe they don't know what the TARDIS looks like. Maybe they just sort of know that this guy appears, uh, or this person appears with different appearances at different times. Um, yeah, she could have, I suppose. I will say, though, this is probably the strongest segment of the comic. It's got like a clear beginning, middle, and end. Which sounds like I'm praising with uh, with uh, praising with damnation, but you know, it's, yeah, I do appreciate. It. As a segment that go, it is the the strongest strongest of the, all of them. I think. I think I agree with that. I think it's the one that I kind of enjoyed, and like, yeah, it is. It's short but sweet. Like it, it does actually kind of do what it sets out to. And I think as much as you don't necessarily know it's Joe until she says, I think you know it kind of is in character for her to be there, kind of trying to protect this. Um, you know, Mr. Glanimal, I think the fact that it does have a beginning, middle, end that's quite well structured, though, does kind of further the question of how is this an hour an hour in her life? Like, mm. you know, because we, we see her arrive, you know, I guess you could sort of say that the only way I think that it could work to be an hour is if there's a really long walk between the first panel and the second <laughs> panel. Because in the first panel she arrives in the woods, and in the second panel she's on like a path entering the village. But once she enters the village, it's pretty much just continuous narrative. And then after that's all, everything's been resolved. Joe's like, "Are you staying?" She's like, "No, I've got to go. My hours up." So yeah, I think logically she must have walked for about fifty-five <laughs> minutes between the first two panels. Because otherwise, because that's the problem with doing comics for short, and you can see that's presumably why a lot of stories have just kind of ended up. You know, either coming in right at the end or just kind of being a bit wishy-washy in terms of how long stuff takes is because otherwise you have a problem of how do you depict an hour's worth of events in a few pages. Yeah, she's walked for 55 minutes carrying a full-size stuffed <laughs> tooth tiger and a, and a chest of gold. Yeah. I mean, it just occurred to me actually, is, was this whole thing inspired by 24? You know, somebody in the Dot Two media office just doing a bit of Keith Sutherland rewatch and was like, you know, there's something here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think of that. I mean, again, what 24 kind of became famous for was the fact that it did the real-time thing where obviously it's slightly fudged in places, but where what's on screen is kind of matched to an hour of real life, which, you know, might be what ends up happening with the um, the audio dramas, potentially, if they are an hour-long episodes actually depicting an hour. But for everything else, it's kind of like actually an hour, but shrunk down yeah. to a small story. You know, even the audio books are half-hour audiobooks. So yeah. so yeah, so they, uh, they save the unicorns from being hunted to extinction but you know, they, I mean they're not around so presumably they were <laughs> they were hunted to extinction at some point unless this is another planet that's just Earth-like and has unicorns. Yeah, honestly with both this story and the previous one, the High Noon in Hollywood one, neither of them felt that earth grounded that there isn't potential for it, it to just be somewhere completely different like certainly this as well like the visuals it has you know it has more the vibes of like a renaissance fair than like legitimate medieval mm, England yeah. or whatever you know it kind of feels like that fancy dress thing which may just be 
the style of the artwork, but yeah, I feel like it wouldn't take that much of a stretch of imagination to say that either of these took place off off Earth, but that's also not there, and it's not, it doesn't seem, there's nothing that indicates that that's the intent, it's just, yeah, it doesn't really feel like like medieval in England, there. and as you say, the fact that the unicorns are actually real in it. Yeah. And, and this is what I mentioned earlier, where towards the end she says, Doom says to Joe, I've put a tracker on the huntsman, and that just seems completely, it seems like a vestige of a, of a, of a bigger storyline, because there, there isn't a huntsman character. It's not like there's a rival who wants to hunt the unicorn as well. There's a guy with a bow and arrow sort of in a couple of frames, but doesn't seem like he's really part of the story. So uh, that, that's one of the things that makes me think these are these are much cut down from what they originally meant to be. Yeah, and also if it's a case of wanting to stop the hunter from hunting the unicorn what does putting how does putting a tracker on him help if she's going <laughs> off somewhere else you know is she giving that tracker well i mean you know joe as well is presumably going to leave in the tardis with a doctor so she's giving that tractor to just a random medieval person saying look go find the hunter and stuff you know what's the <laughs> how does yeah it doesn't feel like her saying she's put a tracker on him actually does anything yeah. means anything within the narrative which as you say maybe because it's a, a vestige of something else that's been lost that's true, she just left anachronistic technology behind. Yeah, so so overall, I mean, I guess the idea is you, um, yeah, the first story's free, and then this one's with Doctor Who magazine, um, although I didn't actually realise that there was, uh, that they'd increased the, uh, the price of Doctor Who magazine, and say, um, as a subscriber, uh, presumably that's uh, the casual readers are, uh, <laughs> are kind of supplementing subscribers for that. Um, so yeah, I kind of had the idea that the first sort of, these first five hours were free, I guess, to uh, to get people hooked, so that they would then, you know, sort of purchase the the comics and the audios and things. Uh, how effectively do you think it it draws the audience in? I think the short story is definitely good for exactly what you've said. I do wonder how people would respond to this comic and how much it would encourage that kind of. Um, reading i mean you know the fact that the back of the comic is obviously like a doomsday continues in hour six and it's kind of pushing you towards the next thing is obviously you know the kind of good promotion for that. and i do think again the fact that it's such a linear thing will help people people won't be like oh what have i got to read next what have i got to get next but just it's quite it's the titan comics i think it's next and if you follow the like the link the website just has it all mm. in straightforward order so i think that will appeal and i think the short story definitely and and yeah before re going on the website to see the short story and then reading this comic so that i could do this podcast i sort of hadn't been paying that much attention to what was going around with doomsday and since that i've obviously looked at the website and seen the timeline and that has allowed me to realize how simple it is to follow and how it's not too many things and has made me think oh maybe i will get the audio drama maybe i will get the book just to kind of continue this story and so in that sense even though this comic didn't necessarily sell me on it that much i kind of have been sold on the premise i think and i've kind of thought you know maybe i will give some more time to it you know i think when it was first announced having been someone who did all of time world victorious you know for that blog and have it i, I was kind of like ah you know i don't want time world <laughs> victorious too you know i was kind of like not again um but now kind of seeing how much simpler it is and knowing that I don't necessarily have to write a blog about every single st story, I could just um, read it and enjoy it for what it is. 
I might definitely go for more. But as for the the general audience, I I don't know if this comic does more good or or bad in terms of, of that. <laughs> but I I think the actual content in the magazine itself um, that discusses Doomsday is 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 quite good. Like I think if you read that article, if you're someone who's likely to be interested in it, then hopefully that article would make you more interested and kind of give you that sense of it. So I think that's a strong element of it, if not the comic itself. I think there's a big question of when we say general audience, who we mean by that, because like there's always the thing is that the dude, the TV show is always, you know, we always say it's important that anyone, you know, the family can sit down and watch it. Um, and there's always some level of accessibility to it. So even if, you know, you've never watched Doctor Who before, there might be some references you don't get, but the general you know, the plot and the story and the arcs and the emotional beats will all make sense even if you've never watched Keys of Marinus. Um, but with something like this, it's it was interesting because uh, you mentioned earlier about how when this the advert for this came out, people were like, oh, it looks like it's for children. And of course, well, yeah, you know, Doctor is for children. But are children going to want... is are they aiming it at children or for people who might just get into Doctor Who and think, oh, I'd like to pick up a Doctor Who book. Oh, and what this Doomsday thing is. Or is it, as I suspect, it is at heart because, you know, this has to make money at the end of the day. Is it for the completists? Um, I don't know. Like, I, I agree. Like, I think the, the website story is, is good. I think it's a good opener. I think if you read that and thought, oh, yeah, I, I, might, I want to pick this up. I'm not sure... Sh- but I'm not sure what, what if the comic would yeah encourage you to do the same necessarily, unless you went for the comic and went ooh Auton Cyber Cybermen Six Doctor brilliant lots of continuity references I will buy more of this for more continuity references um then yeah maybe like I think doesn't the comic the next comic they do doesn't it feature Missy um I've seen like previews pop up and you know that's almost enough for me to think oh maybe yeah. I'll pick that up but I'm also like but maybe not straight away like I I kind of. I like, I like, you know, I like the story, and I might even read the, the the final part when it comes up on the website. But I'm not immediately attracted to it. But you know, I, it just depends. I, I this is the thing about the multimedia things. You know, it's is it for a casual audience? Is it for a hardcore fan audience? I mean, I, and I feel like TLV uh, was for like a hardcore fan audience because again, you had to buy miniatures to get the whole story and that's that's not a casual kid thing you know um and i just i just wonder if that's the same with this ultimately but i i basically i'm saying i don't really know if if, if it will attract people because i i'm not sure i don't think even i'm the audience for this ultimately because i'm not i'm a completionist on certain things but i'm not a completionist on everything you know like i occasionally pick up a big finish in a sale that's kind of my level I'll, I'll i'll track down a new adventure that's that's more my vibe as it were um but this yeah i hope i mean i hope it does well it's 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 definitely a, you know a better a better put together proposal than uh than tlv was i think yeah i think it's kind of doing the kind of multimedia cross platform thing mm. is almost kind of inherently like a bit of a cynical marketing ploy but i think like looking at this and how it's been set up and even just comparing the totals of how much money it would take you to get all of it, this feels it's it's, it's easier to be a lot less cynical about this than TLV because TLV had some kind of ludicrous numbers involved if you actually included like the live event and the um, miniatures and stuff. Whereas this is 
is much more reasonable. So in that in that sense, it does feel slightly more accessible. But yeah, at the same time, I think I think the target audience yeah. is kind of fans, people who are fans already, and I think it's kind of built around the idea that some people are a fan of one side of the Doctor Who expanded universe, and maybe this can get you to consume another. Which you know, ultimately, like I think that does work. You know, for someone like me, I listen to a lot of Doctor Who audio drama quite a few Doctor Who books. I very rarely pick up a Doctor Who comic. I occasionally pick up a Doctor Who comic, and yet with TLV and, and potentially with, with this now as well, if I do end up um, getting into it, I'm going to be doing all those things, so it won't just be the audio drama that I'm listening to that I'd probably listen to anyway, because they've made it a crossover event. It means I, I'll pick up, I'll definitely pick up a book instead of maybe picking up a book, and I'll end up picking a comic that I almost certainly wouldn't have picked up otherwise, so I suppose that's the idea so it's not necessarily for a general audience but it is for a fan audience who might have their fan you know focused on certain areas and you can kind of redirect them to the others and i guess that's the how it works for them on a business level yeah and relying on that completionism that if you've got uh, a couple of comics maybe <laughs> maybe you want to get the full set <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, kind of years and years worth of titan comics yeah that's it. Yes, it'd be very interesting. Yeah, to see uh, to see how successful it is, uh, what the reaction to it is, and um, yeah, and I guess in, in years to come, whether whether they do more of these. I know there's also the elements of it that are uh, special limited time events of a mobile phone game, which is um, a really interesting choice. It's obviously just using what bits of medium they have about to do. I'm assuming there will be someone who will very carefully archive screenshots of. Um, that because you know it's it's one thing to have it be that you have to play the game to get it it's kind of another element then when if they're there for i don't know how long the limited time event will be i think generally the limited time events in those game are between they're either three days or a week i'm, a, I'm a hoping that these would be week-long ones not three-day ones but even so it, it is certainly limiting um well, yeah, limiting it in the sense that once they're gone, there won't be an official way to go back and yeah. read them, which is an interesting choice. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, future, future generations of fans. Yeah, this is uh, lost in time, yeah. isn't it? The game that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and this, that's an interesting element of it because I saw some people seeing that announcement going, "Oh, great!" Because that means there's more, you know, free elements to it. But as much as that game is free to download, and as much as you can get to the point. Oh, I think it's after like episode five where you unlock the access ability to access limited time events. It's still a game, so you you could very easily read these bits for free just by going through this. But it's still a game that's built around a kind of exploitative business model of making you pay for you know these microtransactions to unlock extra things. So like it's possible to play it for free, and it will probably be possible to experience these doomsday stories but again in terms of the marketing to children element you know i have a lot of problems with that game in the sense that it's clearly marketed to children you know it's a click and the numbers go up kind of game but it's like here you know constantly flashing adverts in your face spend seven pound of your real money and make those numbers go up faster and there's also the fact that you can get bonuses so there's, I don't think there's any forced adverts, but you can get like bonuses in the currency or bonus, like you get like a multiplier on how many points you earn um, by watching an advert. And some of those adverts are not 
I would say appropriate for the brand of Doctor Who mm -hmm. or for you know their adverts for like like diet pills and stuff that are like clearly scams instead. Right. <laughs> yeah, I have a lot of issues with that mobile game, which I realize is, is slightly off topic, but just because of the connection <laughs> to Doomsday. And yeah, I I do question a lot of decisions about the, some of the things that get the Doctor Who license these days. You know, there's also the kind of NFT thing that's yeah. been going on. It is a, a oh god, that yeah. It is a real question about how some of these things are allowed to have the license. Um, but yeah. Anywhere in time and space, but just get your parents' credit card first, yeah? <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So hopefully people aren't falling into the trap of actually spending lots of real money on that game and are able to just, you know, if they decide they want to experience the stories and it go through it and not spend money when it's trying to persuade you to. And also, yeah, I'd probably say, again, if anyone is listening to this podcast because they're interested in Doomsday and want to get into that, I would say do not spend money mm. on that game because you don't need to and you can get through it without doing that and also yeah just don't bother with the bonuses to watch the adverts because the adverts are pretty awful like some of it is just for other shovelware games but some of it can be worse and yeah especially if it's um a child playing the game i'd say just don't do the thing don't watch adverts to get bonuses on it because yeah Wow, I didn't know about that. I downloaded the game and then tried to play it and couldn't make head or tail of it and just assumed I was too old yeah. for it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a very dull game anyway. It is literally just like you, you know, click to get the numbers go up on your screen for things and then you spend things so that the numbers will go up faster. Like, that's the only way I can describe <laughs> it. There's, but there's a, a huge sort of cottage industry, not even a cottage industry, really, just an industry of these type of, of games that are, I think they're called idle games because the idea is you set up a bunch of stuff going and then you leave it and you come back and a load of stuff has accumulated um, through that. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of cheaply made um, sort of mobile games to tie into certain things. I, I, I believe someone said something about there being a, a RuPaul's Drag Race game made by the same team that's basically identical to that Doctor Who one, just a different, a pit, you know, different skin over it and different... <laughs> storytelling obviously so the idea that you can kind of buy you know a license to intellectual property and then just very cheaply make basically the same game but with different words and different characters appearing um so yeah you know the, the stories in it for doomsday or any of the other ongoing story in it might be fine might be whatever but yeah i feel like i'm quite cynical about it because of the connection it has to this this game which i don't really uh, approve of is basically just a cheap bit of shovelware to kind of generate money yeah that's crazy <laughs> yeah, sorry for that 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 slightly off topic rant there but yeah i just thought well, while i get a chance to talk about doomsday i would yeah i think i think that's a useful psa for for anybody that might be like you say <laughs> tempted to download it as uh, if they are following doomsday yeah. or... i mean it, it definitely would be you know possibly i think as i say if you get through the first five episodes which can probably be done in under an hour without spending any money you'll then have the events unlocked and then when the event comes on you can just click on it and do that but yeah it's not something i would sort of recommend investing great time in really yeah so yeah hope hopefully people will be kind of wise to it if they go on there just to get that story and you know hopefully the story will be be good and interesting as well it'd be interesting to see what other characters show up in that because obviously they've made a doom character model for it and have 
I wonder if all the other characters and it will kind of be existing character models that they already have programmed into the game, like the different doctors or companions or whatever. But yeah. And yeah, hopefully someone will diligently screenshot all of it as well, so yeah. it'll be there if people <laughs> want to just read the story. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, it's been been interesting to uh, yeah to go through the the first five hours of Doomsday. Uh, we'll be covering subsequent chapters uh, on the podcast uh, over the next few months, I think. Uh, if you'd like to let our listeners know where else we can find you, both on the internet. Yeah, so um, currently my main place is still Twitter. I don't know quite how much longer that's <laughs> going to be given some recent developments, but you can find me at um, B. Uh, hang on, is it at B Mitchell underscore Twitter with the Twitter spelled T W I T R, and on that as well, it's got all my links to kind of. Um, I, I believe it's still in the pinned tweet is my link to my website which basically just has a breakdown of all the kind of podcasts i've done anything i've done recently and um links to all my work like my writing work as well and i believe as well in the that's in the pinned tweet in the bio link is a link to we are cool who i haven't done review for for a while but i've still got quite a few reviews on there particularly um some of the time lord victorious reviews i did and some other audio drama reviews are still available there and um yeah, the mo- most recent thing I've recorded is I did um, a podcast which may be of interest to some people. I did an episode of Who Cares talking about the new Big Finish Dark Season box set, which is a sequel to like the classic Dark Season TV series. And um, they got Russell T Davies returned to actually write an episode of that box set and also Kate Winslet's in it. It's a big deal. I had a lot of fun talking about that. So as soon as that's been released, I'll definitely be retweeting that on Twitter and people can look out for that if they are interested in big finish or dark season or just russell t davies perfect uh yeah so definitely save one of your 600 tweets to uh, a day to look out for that one <laughs> and adam well you can come and exceed my rate limit at twitter um at adam j clegg um if you're on blue sky you can find me at adam clegg or search nitro nine milkshake um, I'm trying to get some terrible Doctor discourse going on there, but there's not quite enough people to do it yet. Uh, but I'm hoping to really make the place toxic uh, soon. Um, uh, you can also hear me on the Real McCoy podcast, which is an uh, in-depth look at the Seventh Doctor series. We're currently on the New Adventures. Uh, or Harry Sullivan is an imbecile, which is a bit more of a whatever we feel like talking about to do with Doctor Who podcast. We've just re- released one on what was supposed to be Power of the Doctor but ended up being a bit of a look back at the whole Jodie Whittaker era um, in which I make a, a somewhat controversial state shipping statement but probably not about the ship you're thinking of um, and yeah that, those those are the best places to find me to hear more of my ramblings I definitely recommend both of those podcasts as well uh, you can find me on Twitter I'm at Quark McMalis, and the podcast is at Trap1 underscore again if you've, if you've got enough uh, <laughs> if you've got enough tweets left uh, you can find the podcast uh, sorry you can find all our previous episodes at trap1.podbean.com or on your podcatcher of choice thank you very much for listening join us next week for an interview with Peter Davison's wife Eliza Morton we'll see you then goodbye goodbye bye Thank <laughs> you.